We have finished our series on the Gospel in Mark, and we have restarted a series in Jeremiah, which we're calling Jewels, Gospel Jewels in Jeremiah. And we're not going through the whole book. We're just picking uh, some gems which contain uh, the Gospel of Jesus Christ in them. And we're turning this morning to the sixth chapter of Jeremiah. And I just want to read one verse in Jeremiah chapter 6. I don't know if you can guess what verse it is after our reading in hymns. It's verse 14 of Jeremiah 6. Jeremiah 6 verse 14. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly or lightly, saying, peace, peace. When there is no peace, they have healed the hurt of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Now, the gospel is positive, but sometimes in order to define something, you put it in the negative. And we've got two things here in the negative that defines what the gospel is in a wonderful way. The prophets who were Jeremiah's contemporary, they were all speaking with one voice, giving false hope and false peace to the people. And Jeremiah is a voice a lone voice in the wilderness offering true hope and true peace. So there are two pictures here which we need to look at and then we'll be done. And we're looking at them in the negative, but in doing that, we are going to bring the positive of the gospel. The first is from medicine and the negative is about a quack doctor A false physician uh, giving a false diagnosis. And then the second is in terms of reconciliation. And it's about a false peace, a false peace. So let's look at these two things in turn. My first point, I'm putting it positively. It's vital that we have a right diagnosis Now think of uh, a person who may be feeling slightly ill. Uh, They may have a headache or they may be uh, feeling tired. And they, after a while, go to the doctor. And they want the doctor uh, to deal with their symptoms, don't they? Uh, If they're feeling tired, they want something to energize them again. Uh, Or if they've got a headache, they... They ask for pain relief. Now, imagine if the doctor just said, ah, yes, uh, you've got a headache. I'll just give you painkillers for that. And the person goes away and they take the painkillers and the headache disappears. That person may think that that's a very good doctor. They've got rid of my pain. But imagine if that headache is just a symptom of something else, of a disease 
say, a cancer that is growing in that person. And actually, that's a very bad doctor that the person has seen because they haven't made a right diagnosis. All they've done is look at the symptoms. They, they haven't, as it were, said to the person, now uh, we need to make sure that these symptoms are not something uh, that's being caused by a more serious condition. And no person likes having to hear, you know, oh, you've got to have a scan. And there's not just one scan, is there? There are several scans you have to go through. And the waiting, uh, and then to have to hear the bad news. Look, it's not just a headache. You've actually got a cancer. And then that doctor has to say, and unless we take radical action, unless you have an operation, or unless you have chemo, you will die. You will die. Now, that doctor may not be the bringer of good news, but he's a good doctor. In Jeremiah's day, people were hurt. There were these symptoms. The enemy was encroaching on the land. Uh, cities were being besieged. Some places were being burnt. Their children were being killed. And all the prophets were saying, it's all right. It's only superficial. God will heal. And Jeremiah says, no, it's not all right. God is not going to heal. It's going to get worse and we're going to be carried away into Babylon, into captivity. It's not all right. Radical treatment is needed. He was a lone voice. He was portrayed as a prophet of doom and gloom. But actually, Jeremiah was the good doctor. Uh, it doesn't matter in a sense... Uh, how good the manners of a doctor is. Uh, you can have a person who is most charming, but actually they're doing you no good. And you can have a doctor who has no bedside manners at all. But he's a good doctor because he's treating the disease. And when you think of the spiritual disease... That's what we're thinking of this morning, the spiritual disease of sin. Uh, if you come to this church, you will often hear about this horrible condition that we're all afflicted with. And if what you hear, you don't like hearing, that does not mean that the one standing in the pulpit doesn't care for you. George Whitfield put it like this. He's got a famous sermon on this verse. This is how George Whitfield put it. He was in the 18th century, a great evangelist. As God can send a nation or people no greater blessing than to give them a faithful, sincere, and upright ministers. So the greatest curse 
that God can possibly send upon a people is to give them over to blind and regenerate, carnal, lukewarm, and unskilled guides. And indeed, people love to have it so. It was like that in Jeremiah's day. It was like that 200 years ago in George Whitfield's time. And things haven't changed. Uh, often, uh, the true doctors of souls will be portrayed as harsh people who don't care about you. And those who are just offering superficial healing will be portrayed as nice people. You've just got to beware of people that come to you with a smile. John the Baptist, I remember being in a minister's gathering and we were discussing how we can be more welcoming as pastors. There's nothing wrong, right, with being welcoming. We're all for that. <laughs> and we were spending too long discussing this as pastors. And then one elderly man got up and he said, I can imagine John the Baptist saying to the congregation with a big smile on his face, you generation of vipers. You get the point. Jeremiah wasn't there to entertain the people. He wasn't there to make them feel good. He was there to give God's diagnosis. And that's what myself or anybody else who's standing in this pulpit is here to do. Now then, we've all come here, haven't we, with our hurts. We've all got symptoms. I don't want to spend too long on this. Maybe you've got horrible fears and anxieties. Who hasn't these days? After lockdown, we're afraid of the future. It will keep you up at night. Who doesn't want to be uh, healed of such horrible worries? We may have a bad temper that we can't control and we think, oh, if only I could be healed of that. We may have an addiction, alcohol or drugs or food. We may have a temptation, something that we constantly fall into. And this is what we want. We want to be healed of that. We may have an uncontrollable tongue. We can't help it. We just gossip. We may have a bitter, unforgiving spirit. We just nurse our griefs. And we just want to be healed of that. In other words, we want an instant fix. Like the people did in Jeremiah's day. And what God is saying to us this morning is this. It's not superficial. It's not your fears. It's not your bad temper. It's not your addiction. It's not your tongue. It's not that particular temptation. It's not uh, that unforgiving spirit. That's just the surface. It's like a wound. What you've got to deal with is what's underlying and as I said to the children, this is God's diagnosis through Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Desperately, desperately wicked. I think the artist who painted that picture of Salem Chapel knew what he was doing. He understood that Welsh nonconformity at the end of the 19th century with all of its respectability, at its heart, was still as rotten as the people who were outside the chapels. The heart, 
Jeremiah's people were a religious people like many of us are, but we've still got sinful hearts. People who don't come to church, people who may be doing all sorts of things that we completely disagree with. They have sinful hearts, but we're all in the same boat, my friends. There is none righteous, no, not one. And the greatest danger, especially when we turn to religion, is that we do the same as the false prophets were doing. We just heal our hurts superficially, superficially. And God is saying you need radical treatment or you'll die. Who said that religion was the opiate of the people? I can't remember who said it. It's a famous quotation. And in a sense, that's true, isn't it? Religion now. When you just come to church and go through religious motions, or when you just read your Bible just for the sake of it, or just chant your prayers just for the sake of it, or maybe beat yourself up spiritually as a form of penance, It's like a form of brainwashing, isn't it? It's like a painkiller to make us forget about the disease. Is there anybody here this morning who's just trying the painkiller of religion? Religion won't save you. Religious duties won't deal with the disease. All you're doing is dealing with the surface. Uh, there's a famous, isn't there, example. Again, George Whitfield, before he was soundly converted, he was a student in Oxford, and he joined the Holy Club with John and Charles Wesley and others. They were trying religion, you see. And they were more religious than any of us will ever be. Uh, they did all sorts of extreme things in order to try and deal with the disease of sin. But it didn't make them better, it made them worse. It wasn't Whitfield and Wesley in the Holy Club that saved their souls. And then there's something else, isn't there? There's the plaster of orthodoxy. What do I mean by that? I don't just mean Eastern uh, Christianity. But we think that as long as we have the right beliefs, that that somehow will uh, deal with the disease of sin. Now, it is a very good thing to be sound in the faith, but that's not going to do anything with uh, the disease, is it? It's like having the prescription. We all need a prescription if we are ill and if we need treatment. But what good does having the prescription do if all we're doing is reading it? The prescription needs to be taken to the doctor. It's the doctor who applies the medicine or we apply it after being given it. That's what cures. Knowing about the cure doesn't do anything, does it? And maybe that's the danger for some of us, myself included. We know the Bible and the gospel, but that's not going to give us a new heart. And then if you're a man, you know what you do when you've got symptoms. You ignore them. And you just think, if I ignore them, they'll go away. They won't. And there are people like that 
with the disease of sin. They think if they stop thinking about it, it'll go away. But the problem is it doesn't go away. And the problem is we get older. And the problem is as we get older, sin gets worse. And the problem is there is time, isn't there? And it's running out. And the problem is we're going to have to die one day. And the problem is after death, we're going to have to face God. And the problem is this disease of sin is terminal. And the problem is it's eternal. Eternal in its consequences. Oh dear, you say, this doesn't sound like good news to me. Do you know what the good news is? It is radical treatment, not superficial, that will do with the disease of sin. And do you know what the radical treatment is? You can't get more radical than this. You need a new heart. I need a new heart. Resurrection. You can't do that. I can't do that. I can't raise a single soul. But Jesus Christ can. And Spurgeon put it like this. The Lord is so fond. He loves. This is the positive now, right? The Lord loves healing sin-sick souls. He has but one son. And you know what? God has made his only son a doctor. <laughs> a physician. And he came in order to heal people of their sin. And he came into this sin-sick world and he sought out his patients. Not like some doctor uh, that is inaccessible. This doctor Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he even invites us, the whole, the healthy have no need of a doctor, but they that are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's hope for you. And even in Jeremiah, you've got this promise. God speaking through Jeremiah a little later. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. That means he's going to create something new and write it on their hearts. In our reading, Paul, the Jeremiah of the New Testament, if any man be in Christ, he's not just somebody who's turned over a new leaf. He's not just somebody who's decided to take on religion. He is a new creation. Wonderful. The book that Schoolgirl uh, wrote that was given to George Whitfield that convicted him the life of God in the soul of man that's Christianity for you a miracle a new heart a heart given by God himself by the Holy Spirit have you ever had a consultation have, um, some people these days they might have a private consultation which costs the earth But it's worth it. What about Jesus Christ as consultant? He's free. He's free. But we must come to him. You must come to him. Do you know what Jeremiah said later on? This is what you need to say. Heal me. 
I can't do it. Jesus, you're the doctor. This is your speciality. Heal me and I shall be healed. Uh, we haven't got this in our recordings, but it's in our hymn book. Can you say this? Sick, spiritually sick and sorrowful and blind. I with all my sins draw nigh, I draw near. O oh, my saviour, thou canst find help for sinners such as I. Christ receiveth sinful men, even me with all my sin. Praise God. No one here is too bad for Jesus Christ to heal. No one in this city has gone too far in the disease of sin for Dr. Jesus. Not just to do a consultation with, but to heal. Praise God. This gospel, this prescription can be taken to all the world. Whether it's the tribal people in the hills of Andhra Pradesh or whether it's people like you and me in this respectable and beautiful part of Cardiff. So that's the one picture. We must hurry to the next picture. The, the first picture was from medicine about superficial healing. The next picture is in terms of peace and reconciliation. And this really gets to the heart of what sin is about. You know, sin isn't just a disease, is it? Sometimes if we think of a disease, we can say to ourselves, well, I can't help it. But there is something willful about the spiritual disease of sin. It's actually rebellion. That's what sin is in its very nature. It's rebelling against God. Now then, some of you here may not commit outrageous sins. But think about this. If sin at its heart is rebellion, what is horrible, even heinous about sin, is the creature is saying to its creator, I don't want you. Now, to me, that is the worst thing in the universe for a creature, somebody that's been made out of nothing, to suddenly put a fist up to his creator. He can put a respectable fist up and say, I just want to go my own way. That's one side. We are rebels. And then on the other side, God. God is pure. God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. And God cannot just say, it's all right. I'll just wink at that. I'll just brush that under the carpet. God can't do that. God must punish sin. It's not like one of us losing our temper. Maybe if our uh, children uh, disobey us. This is God's. Pure hatred to sin, and he must punish it. So, there is rebellion on our side. And God is righteously angry. There needs to be reconciliation. And this is the problem. The false prophets in Jeremiah's day were saying, it's all right, it's all right. There's peace. But there wasn't. There wasn't. Let me use a historical illustration here. 
I wonder, were any of you around in 1940? When Neville Chamberlain, our then Prime Minister, went to Munich to meet with Adolf Hitler in order to be a peace broker. And he thought he'd achieved peace. Uh, he came back to this country and he landed in, um, was it London City Airport? And he had a piece of paper on it, a peace treaty. And what did he call it? We have achieved peace for our time. Were any of you around then? The adulation that followed Chamberlain's announcement. Pe people were rejoicing. There was not going to be another war. Chamberlain has managed to make peace with the Nazis. There was a lone voice, wasn't there? Winston Churchill. He didn't believe a word of it. And Winston Churchill, for many years, was unpopular because he was saying, the Nazis, they are planning for war. How can you make peace with them? But eventually, people saw Churchill was right. And it was like that with Jeremiah. Jeremiah was like the Churchill of his day. He's saying, no, no, there's no peace. You see the enemy that is coming in. God is allowing this to happen, to punish us for our sins. And God isn't going to intervene. God is going to allow you to be taken into captivity. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Hadn't Chamberlain made a huge error of judgments? But don't we make a worse error of judgments? If we think everything is all right between us and God, if our sin hasn't been dealt with. Uh, this is what one person wrote many years ago of liberalism. Now, liberalism is what we fought against many, many, many years ago. I'm not thinking of political liberalism now, but theological liberalism that didn't believe the Bible. And this is what one person wrote about the liberalism of the day. A God without wrath brings men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without the cross. Couldn't that be said of a lot that goes under the name of evangelicalism today? Peace, peace. But there is no peace. I've got to finish, but this is the good news. We can't make peace with God. It's impossible, just as it is impossible for us to make ourselves new hearts. But this is the good news. God in Christ brings reconciliation. You know, if you've got two warring sides, you need somebody to stand between them. A mediator, someone who is respected by both sides, someone who represents both sides. And that is who Jesus Christ is. There is only one God and only one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ, Jesus. Who is Jesus Christ? He is God. So he represents the Godhead. And who is Jesus Christ on the other hand? He's a man. A man was born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. So he can represent us. But he's not a sinner. So he can deal with sin. What did Jesus Christ do? Jesus Christ travelled much further than Munich 
Jesus Christ traveled all the way from heaven into this sin-sick world. And what did he do to broker peace? He didn't just have a meeting, as it were. He had, well, yes, he had a meeting. He had a meeting. On the cross, he had a meeting. And in that meeting, he experienced something he'd never experienced before. All of our sins were put on him, imputed, put into his accounts. And his father, the righteous judge of men, punished his only son so that we could be forgiven. What a meeting. The father turned his face away. My God, my God, cried Jesus Christ. Why have you forsaken me? We don't know the answer, do we? We know that it was in love, but who can plumb the depths of love divine? As Paul said, for he, God, hath made him to be sin, who knew no sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. As Townend puts it so well, don't you love the hymns of Stuart Townend? The cross is so clear in them. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned even more so than Jeremiah by the ones he came to save, till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God is satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I stand. This is not God brushing our sins under the carpet. This is not God winking at our sins. This is a God who loves to forgive sinners. That he plans his son to come and his son came willingly. And his son took the sins and the hell that we deserved. So that we might be forgiven and made right with God. This love is as strong as death, even stronger. So Jeremiah wasn't a prophet of doom and gloom. I'm not. We've got good news. Peace. Peace on earth. And mercy mild. Forgive me for quoting a carol. God and sinners reconciled. It's too good to keep just for Christmas. What are we here for? This is what we're here for. This is what Paul said. This is what Jeremiah was doing. This is what I'm doing. This is what every preacher is doing. God has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to give psychological counsel. I'm not here to go through religious ceremonies. I'm an ambassador on behalf of my Savior. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. Don't remain enemies. God has done everything that needs to be done. Come. Come. 
Oh, how sad. Ne- Neville Chamberlain having that piece of paper. And it wasn't worth what it was written on, that peace treaty. And you know what? I haven't just got a piece of paper here. I've got a book. And this book is God's peace treaty. This book will tell you how you can be made right with God. This book is what made our nation great. And this book is what this church is all about. This peace treaty. Oh, don't you love Jesus Christ? The doctor, the doctor who delights to treat sin-sick soul and the mediator who's come to broker not a superficial peace, but a lasting peace. Chamberlain said, peace for our time. It didn't last, did it? <laughs> Just a few months. What about this peace that Jesus Christ has brokered? Peace in believing. You know, I still can't get it out of my mind. That's why I can't help it when I'm preaching to refer to my conversion. I, I just can't escape from that happy day when I had peace through believing. When I saw for the very first time that Jesus Christ by his death had done it all. Peace through believing. And then it doesn't just stay with you when you believe. Peace through this life. I can see some of you here, and I know you've had a difficult life. You've been through some dark times. But in the midst of those times, there's been peace, perfect peace, because of Jesus Christ. And they're not just peace for time, but peace for eternity. Isn't that amazing? A peace that will last forever and ever. As we're going to sing in a minute. No guilt in life. Don't you want this? No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is not just the power. This is the peace of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. When I was told of Ian's death, I was told he's been promoted. He's been promoted. Oh, if you're not a Christian, and if you're trying to avoid this disease of sin and this fact that you're not right with God, death is getting nearer. But if you've come to Jesus as you are, and if you have believed in him with all your hearts, not only have you had peace through believing, and not only has he given you peace through difficult times, but the day you will leave this world behind will be promotion. Glory for me. I've got to finish there, but praise be to God that this is good news.